It's July 8, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Mark Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We'll start things off today with a couple of guests to tell us about a couple of upcoming events. Jody Ito from the University of Hawaii will tell us about Gen Cyber Hawaii Camps, teaching the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. Then, Lisa Shozuya will tell us about an upcoming disaster preparedness training class. Finally, we hear about the uh, collaborative space in Kalihi created by and for high school students. Joining us later are a couple of the founders for The Canvas, Isabel Wong and Jessica Kim. We'd love your questions and thoughts, so be ready to call in or tweet. But first, the headlines. Two of Hawaii's leading startup accelerator programs are putting out the call to entrepreneurs who might consider applying for funding, mentoring, and networking opportunities. Blue Startups is hosting an online event tomorrow afternoon and... Accelerate UH is hosting an informational session downtown on Tuesday. The Blue Startups webcast follows an in-person meetup last week where more than 100 interest, uh, interested entrepreneurs all attended. Among the announcements, Blue Startups has increased its potential investment in cohort companies to $100,000. That's $25,000 up front and as much as $75,000 in additional funding should the startups meet additional milestones. Blue Startups is also looking for an accomplished business leader to serve as its entrepreneur-in-residence for the fall 2015 cohort. Managing Director Chinua Farnsworth will share all the details during the Google Hangout tomorrow at 2 p.m. On Tuesday, Accelerate UH will open its doors to people thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, starting a, co- starting a company, or commercializing a technology. The program is focused on people and research from the University of Hawaii system. The Pauhana Informational Syst- uh, Session will lay out the opportunities and requirements in participating in the third cohort of Accelerate UH. And alumni teams and mentors will be on hand to answer questions. It will be hosted on the 18th floor of the Pioneer Plaza downtown. Now, these, uh, both of these accelerators are pretty exciting things that are going on in Hawaii. And, you know, the Blue Startups uh, informational session that they had was for basically the, uh, the, the, the cohort number six that they're attracting. So now is the time to apply if you're interested in, in getting involved with the Blue Startups. And it was a pretty well-attended event. Yep, and my daughter came, and she was inspired by the other mm-hmm. uh, startups and entrepreneurs and residents. And Accelerate UH is a good program as well. They're specifically focused on University of Hawaii people with UH connections, not necessarily even coming straight out of UH, but alumni, students, researchers there, um, whether you're talking about commercializing something you did in research or you just happen to have been a student there with a great idea. Mm-hmm. But Accelerate Accelerate UH is a partnership between uh, UH and Sultan Ventures, who we've also had on the show. So if you want to find information on either of these information uh, informational events tomorrow at 2 p.m. online or in person next Tuesday, you can visit the Accelerator's respective pages on Facebook for details. They've posted them there, and of course, we will have links to them on our show notes at bitemarkscafe.org. Now, speaking of blue startups, the founder of that accelerator, Hank Rogers, t- chose this past Independence Day weekend to announce his latest big idea. It's helping island businesses and households declare independence from the electricity grid. They'll do that by integrating state-of-the-art battery storage with solar photovoltaic energy systems. Rogers built his initial fortune by flying to Russia to secure the rights to the international game sensation Tetris, but he went from there to found gaming and mobile software companies and then blue startups as well as the Blue Planet. Foundation. Now that is a nonprofit dedicated to advancing clean energy. 
Well, his latest venture taps into both his extensive technology background as well as his environmental advocacy. On Monday, Rogers launched the Blue Planet Energy Systems and its Blue Ion product, a self-contained energy storage system that includes batteries and specialized hardware and software. Blue Ion uses high-powered, long-life lithium-ion batteries manufactured by Sony. Rather than using conventional lithium cobalt oxide, the new batteries use olivine-based phosphate cathodes, which means they are less expensive run cooler and contain no potentially carcinogenic cobalt. Each battery unit can store 1.2 kilowatt hours and weighs 17 pounds, and the number of units installed depends on the energy needs of the property. These Sony batteries can handle more than 8,000 complete discharge cycles. That's equivalent to about 20 years of daily discharge and come with a 10-year manufacturer warranty. Blue Planet Energy Systems will help businesses or homeowners install and integrate these batteries into their existing PV systems, or they can provide a complete PV package. Its special mix of hardware and software will manage the storage of electricity by day and the use of battery power by night. You know, it was uh, pretty cool how they rolled out this story because uh, I started seeing some things uh, in uh, on social media, and then of course uh, when they had the meeting at his house and they showed some of the pictures of the uh, storage, uh, battery storage. I mean, it was. Uh, nicely lit in some blue lights. It had some rainbow the LEDs. Rainbow yeah, LEDs. so that was an Associated Press story mm-hmm. that got picked up everywhere. And mm-hmm. I'm not just saying all of the local media, but the BBC, CNN, all around the world, also covering the Tetris founder's fancy house off the grid, as well as his ranch on the Big Island. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like that, you know, it's a startup. It starts in a garage. But, I mean, every startup thinks they're going to change the world. But I'd say by going after clean energy, you might actually have the potential to actually change the world. Well, you know, I got to say that uh, Hank Rogers is like uh, Hawaii's version of Elon Musk. I mean, absolutely, he's got his hand in space and energy and all cool things. Right. Now, Tesla, he drives two Teslas. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was interesting that, of course, he's working with Sony batteries, but Tesla has its own batteries. And there are local companies that are working on that technology. So I think we're going to see battery systems everywhere in the next year. It's very exciting. Sounds good. Of course, now joining us is Jody Ito from the University of Hawaii's Information, and she's the Information Security Officer. We've had on, on uh, her on before, and of course, she's probably the expert in security, especially as it uh, pertains to the campus. And she's here to tell us about this uh, program called Gen Cyber Camp. Welcome to the show, Jody. Well, thank you very much for having me and allowing me to speak and uh, really share our excitement about having these uh, Gen Cyber Camps uh, next week. You know, so we uh, we heard a little bit about Gen Cyber, and and I know there's a lot of growing interest in helping to build some capacity around students, uh, you know, getting some hands-on experience with with cybersecurity. So kind of give us a sense of what this Gen Cyber Camp is all about. So this is actually a partnership between the National Security Agency and the National Science Foundation, too. And this is from their tagline, to inspire the next generation of cyber stars. Mm -hmm. Uh, The goal with the camps is, so we're actually having two camps. Uh, The goal for the student camp is to provide them with an awareness and an understanding of a lot of the basic cyber security principles, to, but to make learning fun. So they're actually going to have a lot of hands-on activities where they're learning some of the principles, learning about coding, learning about networking, um, learning about ethics. And this is all going to culminate for the students in a Hunger Games themed scavenger hunt where they have to apply all of their knowledge that they learned throughout the week. And on Friday, they're going to have to have to apply it. 
So by Hunger Games, do you mean they'll be let loose in a jungle environment and only one will survive? Well, no, it's more <laughs> of a collaborative sort of event because they're going to have to work together in teams. They are going to be let loose on the Honolulu Community College campus. Uh-huh. Um, and hopefully they'll all survive so that they can all celebrate at the recognition ceremony afterwards. I think you should have someone out there making the whistle sound from the Hunger Games just to freak them out as they're walking around the campus. You guys are more than welcome to come out and participate. <laughs> no. So what's the other camp of the two? So the second camp is for the teachers, so for high school teachers, because they are going to be the role model and the mentors in the schools to continue this excitement and learning about cybersecurity. Uh, This isn't really a niche area in the schools right now. So what we want to do is to equip these teachers with lesson plans about cybersecurity so they will be able to take this back into the classrooms and be immediately able to share their knowledge with students. Now, I don't want you to give away too much, but, you know, if uh, they were out there looking for something, what would be an example of what they would look for? In terms of the The, scavenger scavenger hunt? So... We're going to teach them about steganography. We're going to teach them about encryption. And so they're going to have to decipher clues to be able to find things on campus to help protect the campus's network. Oh, okay. And they would, I guess, some of the clues would require using the tools that they learned, decryption technology probably and things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I know the, um, you know, the... Camp is already full. Absolutely, too. So there was a, a good effort on the part of the organizers to rally. I think what DOE is very involved, and and the University of Hawaii is very involved. Uh, how many students or student slots were there available? And so we actually had sixty student slots, mm-hmm. and we have sixty-one students attending. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually have twenty-eight teacher slots, and they are all full too. Now, this is kind of a national thing, right? I mean, it's uh, it's been going on, I guess, last year, and now Hawaii is finally kind of getting into it. Correct. So last year, there were only six camps across the nation. This year, there are 43 camps in 19 states, and Hawaii is very, very fortunate to have two of the camps. Mm-hmm. Uh, next year, we hope to grow on our success and be able to have a few more camps here in Hawaii, too, to increase the capacity so that more people can participate. Now, before we let you go and get some of the details on how someone can participate, I did have to ask, just broadly speaking, we at here at Bite Marks Cafe have covered the NSA, and we've covered the National Science Foundation. I don't think we've ever seen those two acronyms together on the same asset. I mean, what does the, what, how did this partnership come about? So So largely it has to do with the National Science Foundation. They have their capabilities to be able to award grants. Mm. Um, And the National Security Agency doesn't quite have that reach yet. So the partnership is basically to leverage what the National Science Foundation is doing, but to bring the expertise and all of the uh, resources that the NSA has to be able to do this. So the NSA is very invested in trying to develop Hawaii's workforce in terms of cybersecurity capabilities. You did say that it's essentially full for this uh, year but I would imagine we're going to be looking for more of these programs coming down in the future. Yes, absolutely. So there was a website set up, and we're going to be posting all of the information there for next year, as well as pictures and things that we actually will go through next week. We're very excited. So the website is gencyber-hi.org. Very good. Well, thanks, Jody, for joining us. And, of course, uh, now joining us is Lisa Shozuya, and she's from Lion Associates. Associates, and they're here to tell us about, uh, well, she's here to tell us about some disaster preparedness training, and uh, we want to welcome you, Lisa, to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, so Lion Associates, usually, you know, we've had uh, we've had NDPDC, the National Disaster mm-hmm. Preparedness Training Center. We've had Carl Kim come on. So what's the relationship with uh, uh, Lion Associates uh, with respect to NDPTC? 
So Lion Associates is actually a civil and environmental engineering company. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of work around the Pacific. So Carl Kim at NDPTC, that's the National Disaster Preparedness Training Center, wanted to expand the trainings that they do in Hawaii, all islands, and the Pacific and Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. because it's all related as far as you know disasters, the, the, the natural disasters that they're seeing coming. So because Lion Associates has all this reach into all these communities, um, that was the perfect partnership there. So, um, you know, NDPTC has the grant to do the work. Lion Associates has the reach into all these Pacific communities. So well, you know, in, 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 in full disclosure, uh, coincidentally, I, I do teach for NDPTC, and I am one what? of the instructors. <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. I am one of the instructors <laughs> for Lion. No. And it as just part so of in, happens. Yeah, what, what a, well, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know how these things happen. Well, because um, we've, as, as Bert mentioned, we became aware as the NDPTC was coming together, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and Bert is a emergency preparedness nut. He's a yes. ham nut operator. He's, he's a nutcase in, as well. Um, and in fact, uh, recently when we did a pre-recorded show, it's because you were in Saipan doing one of these courses right. there. So that's great. So, uh, but what about people in Hawaii? Who will the people in Hawaii be able to see as their teacher and leader in this course? Oh, so this weekend actually we have a course, a social media course. It's a social media for natural disaster response and recovery. Um, a lot of people don't think of social media as a tool during a natural disaster, but actually social media is becoming like one of the top things for people to use because it's real time and it's instantaneous and the reach is incredible. Mm-hmm. So this weekend we have a class on Saturday and it's from 8 to 5 and it's at Lion Associates in downtown and Bert Lum is our instructor. You got Bert. We got Bert. Amazing. <laughs> we, ha- we had to get him. We heard he was the best, right? I so. totally would agree with that. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have you guys as my, uh, you know, fellow uh, hosts on the show and to just, you know, lay the, lay the accolades. Well, Lisa, <laughs> let me ask you a question about the application of social media during emergencies. We have a possible storm coming and that will happen regularly. Um, but when there is a storm event or even an earthquake or a possible tsunami event, Obviously, Twitter, Facebook, all of these uh, platforms light up. But yes. a lot of times you see things like, oh, here's a picture of a shark in the the ground level of Ala Moana. Right. And it's just a good Photoshop job. But that still gets retweeted a million times and people start freaking out. Uh, is that sort of the kind of misinformation as well, kind of being part of the things that this course will cover? Well, you know, let me let me add yeah, to that because part of, the, part of the class, part of the <laughs> class <you>. talks <laughs> about social media and the basic use of Facebook and Twitter. But there is another section in the class that talks about what we were, would refer to as virtual technical communities. And one of them is the Hawaii VOS, the V, the Virtual Operations Support Team. And they are a team of people that actually monitor social media for three things. Basically, it's looking for retweeting official tweets coming out from the agencies, looking for misinformation. And the third thing is looking for people that are, are really in distress. Right. right, so we're trying to, you know, leverage the crowdsource, the community, get the community involved to do some monitoring and and help vet some of the information that's coming because it's just a it's an avalanche of information once the, the disaster starts. Right, mm-hmm. so that's part of and part of the class that we're going to be teaching this uh, this Saturday is really all about social media on a general 
from a general sense, but more specifically how it applies to disaster preparedness. Exactly. And, and so it's, it's great that, you know, one of the things that um, I just want to add is that the fact that NDPDC has been very successful at teaching this class across the country, yes. but they haven't really been that present in Hawaii. So I think right. Lion is really kind of playing that role. Exactly. So we've been doing a lot of outreach into a lot of places, and kind of what we want to do is do this from the community up, you know, mm -hmm. from the ground up. And there's an overwhelming response all the way across uh, all the islands. Um, in Molokai, we're doing three, you know, coming up at the end of July. We just got uh, calls for doing classes in Maui and the Big Island. And then um, I talked to the mayor of Kauai, and he wants to do a preparedness month. You know, so there's there's an overwhelming response from and, the community. And this level. program scope is wider than specifically social media, of yes, course. Yes, there are yes. other elements to coastal there. hazards and yes. specific to specific communities. And I would right. imagine Lion and Associates is kind of going to be customizing this program depending on where you're delivering. Exactly. Yes. And for different agencies as well. So like the hotels, they know exactly what mm -hmm. classes they want. Um, a health center, for instance, they know exactly what what they want. A, a specific neighborhood or community, they know what they want. You know? mm -hmm, so we're mm -hmm. helping them to design their courses for their audience. And then around that, what do you do with the information after? Mm -hmm. yeah. So your effort really uh, and your role at Lion is really helping mm -hmm. to coordinate with the communities yes. to get them uh, organized so that we can come in or the instructors can come in and offer a, a, a whole exactly. suite of classes. Exactly, we'll come anywhere, yeah. So we're, we're putting it out there that we can come to you. You know, you just provide the space and we'll bring the training to mm -hmm. you. But also in the bigger grand scheme of thing is to just, um, you know, kind of inspire the mindset that it's better to prepare on a sunny day in Hawaii than it is on the day of disaster. Oh, most definitely, so. because, you know, we're in the midst of hurricane season, yes. and, of course, we've got one kind of coming our way. Yes. It's still a tropical depression right now, but yeah. it does look like it might be strengthening. Well, and it's an El happen. Nino year, too. Right, that's so. also true, but it will only happen after the Geekman. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is happening this Sunday. Right, right. right. But that's not at the Pilani Park. Okay. <laughs> Lisa, okay. Uh, because uh, we know that people want to see in person yes. and, and gather his uh, wisdom. One more time, where and when is it happening and how can they sign up? Okay, so it's happening this Saturday, July 11th from 8 to 5 at um, Lion Associates, which is located in downtown. Um, you can actually go to the NDPTC website and the class is located um, on the, listed on the website. Mm -hmm. And that's ndptc.hawaii.edu. Fantastic. And we will, of course, have that link in the show notes. We will definitely put that yeah. up in the show notes. And we'll have the specific link to the class if you want to register and get signed up. So thanks, Lisa, Thank for joining you. us. Thank thanks you, Lisa. Now, before we move on, yes, I did mention the Geek Meet. I do want to extend that invitation to our listeners specifically. Please if do. you are listening to the sound of our voice right now, whether or not you want to admit it, you're probably a little bit of a geek because everyone's a geek about something. That's right. But this is definitely the geek show. So Sunday, Kapilani Park, across from the Natatorium, we're having our eighth annual event. It's basically, before there was a maker fair here, this is what it was. Whether you're into dressing up like a stormtrooper or looking through telescopes or working with Lego, we all come together and kind of have a big group picnic. So uh, cast that invitation out to you. Mm -hmm. I am not concerned about wedding, uh, weather <laughs> weather, because I think we're going to be fine. But, well, uh, you you know, can... Rain or shine, we're going to be out there. Right. So find more information at hawaiigeek.com. Sounds good. 
Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll have a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Isabel Wong and Jessica Kim from The Canvas, a new student workspace in Kalihi. How did a group of high school students from different schools identify the need for a shared after-school space? And, of course, what programs and events are being hosted there? We'd, of course, love your thoughts or perhaps experiences with workspaces like this. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And we're live in the studio. You can tweet us at BiteMarks or at Hawaii. This is BiteMarks Cafe. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Barbara Marks Hubbard, author of Conscious Evolution. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about awakening the power of our social potential. Sunday morning at 11. Your teenage daughter brings a nice, personable, wholesome young man home for dinner. How could that be a problem? If the family is the delightfully twisted Adams family, it's a big problem. Maui on stage is bringing the Adams family musical to the stage. And we'll talk with director Michael Pulliam tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back to Bike Marsh Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Isabel Wong and Jessica, Jessica Kim. Isabel is an incoming high school junior, a recreational diver, an aspiring <laughs> author, and she's studying violin and serves on the speech and yearbook teams. Meanwhile, Jessica just graduated from high school, a fan of dystopian stories, who also plays the violin. She says she is passionately undecided about her future, but is still soon heading off to attend the University of Notre Dame. And does the co-working space idea have something to offer high school students? Of course, we'd love to hear your comments and questions and that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome both Isabel and Jessica to Bite Marks Cafe. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So let's start off with, uh, you know, we've been having uh, t- t- conversations and discussions about co-working spaces uh, ever since, uh, I guess we talked about it at the unconference a long time ago. And then, you know, we had... Uh, Box Jelly kind of startup and the Greenhouse startup and R&D startup. And, and then uh, um, I guess a couple, well, maybe about a year ago, we kind of caught wind of this uh, student co-working space happening in Kalihi. And we thought, wow, this is kind of interesting because we've got all these sort of adults <laughs> starting these co-working spaces. Now, what, you know, what in the, uh, what ever possessed uh, students to kind of create this co-working space? Jessica, I mean, where did this idea start to percolate? Uh, so Tiffany Chang and I were part of a leadership program called Center for Tomorrow's Leaders. And uh, we were actually meeting in a space called Box Jelly. And oh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, so at Box Jelly, we were just really inspired by the way the space itself 
uh, made us feel a lot more creative. Uh, the ideas were just flowing a lot better. So we were thinking about ideas for a potential project. And at the time, uh, the idea of a co-working space being something that students can be a part of was uh, something that we really wanted to entertain. So uh, I think the inspiration mainly came from Box Jelly and uh, how it inspired us in the beginning to come up with the idea. And I can certainly see the attraction of the basic idea of a space that many people would have access to. You can come and collaborate. The people who happen to be there are people that you would be most likely to have an opportunity to share ideas with. You, you're, you're of like mind. But certainly thinking of uh, an idea like that and making it become a reality and, frankly, signing a lease on a space <laughs> and moving in, the, there's a big gulf between the idea and that last step. So I, I'm really curious if you could share um, how that process evolved from, hey, I like what you're doing here at the Box Jelly. Um, I'd like to do it myself for people like me. How does that happen? I mean, where did you go from there? Right. So uh, maybe it took us a year to go from idea to a physical space. And that year was really difficult. We had so many difficulties and challenges, uh, mainly because we were high school students. And at the time, uh, we felt that that was really a roadblock. But once we started to rethink the idea of our of our age and use that actually as an advantage, uh, people began to talk to us a lot more. We started to reach out to maybe 40 to 50 people in the community, just meetings to meetings, mm -hmm. trying to shape the idea, polish it up a little bit, and uh, basically used our age as an advantage to um, inspire other other people to help us. And without the community being there to support us in the beginning, uh, the canvas wouldn't have been a possibility. We had to go from uh, architects to uh, accountants and lawyers, um, just a lot of diverse, uh, diverse people in the community. So once we got the ball rolling, uh, we had people offering their help, and that's how we got uh, the space, how we were able to sign the lease of the space. Well, I'd like to hear a little bit more when you said it was a it was a potential barrier. Now, off the top of my head, I would say, okay, sure, maybe when you go to meet people, they might write you off because you're mm -hmm. a student. But it sounds like, to some extent, it might have been an internal transition that you needed to make as well to not see that as a barrier because it sounds like once you got over some change that way, you did find people when you approached them were interested in helping you. So what was that, what was that initial barrier? Right, the initial barrier was that... Um, we felt personally that when we talked to adults, then that they wouldn't take us seriously, that they would see our idea as something that was a little too off the charts, you know. Um, and uh, we really wanted to bring our perspective of being a high school student in light to show that this is a really good idea for other high school students um, from the students for students perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, once we really transitioned ourselves first into that type of uh, thinking and mindset, we really realized that people were inspired by the way that we were high school students trying to create a space for other uh, for our peers. So yeah, that transition was difficult at first, but it turned out to be a great advantage for us. So, so Isabel, were you uh, were you part of the team that collaborated over at the Box Jelly? No, I wasn't. Um, I actually didn't know Jessica at that time. I got involved in the canvas through Tiffany, the other co-founder, mm -hmm. um, which we have on the uh, on the on the phone line. We'll introduce her real quick, just real shortly. Right, right. So um, she actually contacted me um, and told me asked me actually if I wanted to be a part of this organization she was starting uh -huh. and so initially I was really shocked because that's not really something a high school student asks you you know do you want to help start this organization with me um, so that really triggered my interest and then when she explained it further what really caught me was that they wanted to take learning um, and really help students 
um, further their motivation for it. And so they felt that um, high school students right now, you know, sometimes they didn't feel engaged in the classroom. And I felt that was something that could connect to anyone, really, even if you're not in high school, just um, feeling connected to your work or um, just your life. And so that's what really grabbed me about the campus. Oh, great. Now, we, we do have uh, Tiffany Chang on the uh, phone, and we want to welcome uh, you to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. So, no, we got, you know, we got three of the, uh, the uh, co-founders here. Now, Tiffany, I guess you and Jessica were kind of part of that uh, group that met over at the Box Jelly. Uh, what was it that first got you guys to just meet there in the first place? I mean, what was it that brought you together? I mean, and you guys are all from different schools, right? Yeah, um, so we were under the organization called Center for Tomorrow's Leaders, mm-hmm. and I mean, we all encourage students to apply for it, and essentially it brings students together from a bunch of different schools to tackle issues in the community, and that's, um, Box Jelly was the place that they met at that time, and um, students were brought in from public and private schools, but most importantly united under um, a passion that we shared amongst all of us to do something about the educational community. Um, there were different groups that were passionate about different topics, and our group just happened to be all passionate about um, furthering the education for high school students. Oh, sounds good. Uh, you know, we did have another uh, Center for Tomorrow's Leaders uh, project. Uh, we had the, the Fahrenheit 73 guys on. That's right. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I know there's a lot of different programs now supporting the 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 canvas the public schools of Hawaii Foundation the Learning Coalition Friends of the Library Alexander Baldwin even Fisher Hawaii which I think is cool too because you know every co-working space needs uh, office supplies but it sounds like the Center for Tomorrow's Leaders is 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 is, is the overarching sort of umbrella organization brought this together so um, Isabel mentioned that you recruited her how did you choose the people that you would ask to join this this uh, idea. What I looked for was students who resonated with what we were trying to do. And Isabel struck me as, well, not only diligent and hardworking, but also as someone who took education not for the grades, but for the actual value of what she was learning. And I also, I mean, I commend her for even just having good grades, too, but um, definitely resonating with what we were trying to do. And because it resonates with her, it would be a really beneficial thing to have her on with us. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, what was it that um, got you guys first to start thinking about the problem that you were trying to solve? I mean, was it, you know, when you think about co-working spaces and you think about students, I mean, I, I would maybe say that a school is kind of like a co-working space, right? It's a library. It's a, it's a big, yeah. yeah, it's a big co-working space for students, but but uh, it does well, it pertain, you to one school. It, 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 it pertains to you being, you know, part of that school, right? So you don't usually find students from other schools uh, interacting with you know with students from that school not without someone calling security. That's right. So <laughs> so was there was there something that really uh, you wanted to solve by providing a space that allowed students from other schools to kind of get together and collaborate? I mean, uh, Jessica, I mean, what what was it that you were trying to solve there? Oh, so it really stemmed from my personal experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, in high school, I would go to a lot of cafes. Um, and Starbucks, of course, to do my homework. And when I was there, I would see other high school students doing their homework. And when I talked about it with my friends, they, I just realized that 
we as high school students just couldn't work at home that we, we weren't inspired at home so uh, we had to find different ways to go to like cafes and libraries to try to work hard in our in school and also in our other projects mm-hmm. um, and from that realization uh, I realized that there are other students who may not necessarily have that the money to buy a four dollar latte every time they <laughs> have to go to Starbucks or and things like that you know uh, it's you shouldn't have to pay to want to invest in your education really so um, from that idea, I realized that students really needed a space, first of all, um, and why don't we use that concept of having a space to uh, gather students from both public and private schools and really create an empowered student community. Mm-hmm. Now, Melissa, I know you're busy and we'll have to let you go in a bit, but I did want to get your uh, your last thought in the sense that, you know, um, it's a program for high school students. High school students, fortunately, do not stay high school students their entire lives. And I think part of the recruiting of Isabel, for example, and the other people who've now joined the team is to be able to have it be a sustaining thing. Um, but uh, from your experience putting it together, what is the number one takeaway that you personally received uh, in terms of uh, maybe uh, building a startup or building a space for students? I mean, was there something that surprised you about the process in making the canvas a reality? Oh, um, I think what really surprised me was how you can really do anything as long as you set your heart to it. I mean, there was a lot of difficulties in the way, and it's a process took about twice as long as we thought it would, but this definitely fueled me to do, um, to just know that I can do anything that I set my heart to, and just, I hope other kids are inspired by that, too. Absolutely. Well, that's that's great, and and, um, Tiffany, so you're you're actually graduating, uh, you're... You've already, yeah. I already graduated high school. Yep. So you're heading off to college. Well, we want to thank you for joining us, and uh, great, uh, great to have you on the, the show. Yeah. Congratulations on the canvas. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Sure thing. So, so uh, getting back to, um, you know, the actual process of, of uh, getting canvas off the ground. I know you guys were talking, uh, you know, at the uh, box jelly, trying to come up with ways and meeting a lot of people. Uh, how did you guys go about? really settling in on a space. I mean, that's probably the hardest thing to do is find the right space that satisfies the, you know, the majority of the people that you might want to serve. How did you go about locating that the location over? It's kind of like by, by Dillingham, right? Yes. Near, near Marukai over there? Yeah, right yeah. next to Marukai. So um, when we were looking for a space, we realized that we couldn't be picky. We had to find a space where uh, you know, the landowner would be willing to donate some of the utilities to us and, uh, and also to find the right size for students. And that really led us to only find one space, actually, and that space was in Kalihi. Um, it just happened to be there, actually. So uh, we had to really look for things like, uh, is the space big enough? Can we host you know, a library and things like that? I think those were the main considerations that we had. Um, uh, and I think it just really worked out from there because Finding the space itself was difficult enough, but finding the perfect space for us was something that we we're really thankful for. That's amazing to find, have one space and it turned out to be the perfect space. Yeah. <laughs> what a- we actually had to uh, bounce from 
another space shack actually right next to Farrington High School, but things didn't work out, so we had to mm-hmm. you know bounce floor plans mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we landed on the perfect space. That's good. Now, Isabel, you're coming on now um, as this space has started moving forward, but uh, you know certainly you have a different perspective in the sense that maybe it's not selecting the space, but helping the space evolve. Um, and I'm having tr- trouble right now imagining what we're talking about. Of course, if you go to the Box Jelly, you have maybe there's a conference room here that people can share. There's an area here we can do presentations. There's maybe a little place where you can do recording and stuff like that. Uh, but maybe a student's needs for a shared space are different. Um, what is at the Canvas in terms of a facility, in terms of amenities for students using it? Right. So one of the things we really wanted to focus on was tailoring this space to students. Um, so when we uh, figured out the design concept, we actually met with Barrington High School students, um, specifically the student um, government at the time, and we actually asked them, you know, what would you want to see in a space, you know, and they were just giving us all these different ideas, um, floor-to-ceiling whiteboards, um, blackboards, just a lot of collaborative open space. Um, so then when it came time for us to kind of um, construct the space, so we had the space, but we wanted to do some, you know, um, remodeling to kind of fit it to student needs. We then met with our committee heads at the time um, to go wall by wall and say, okay, so here's this wall. What are we thinking of? You know, what do we want? Do we want a gallery? Do we want the whiteboards here? Um, and so we really just approached our whole space um, in that way so that in the end it could come out how students wanted it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, was there a reason why you uh, had Farrington involved with that initial discussion and why not other schools? Right. So we initially chose Farrington High School because of where our location is. So it's near their school, maybe a 10-minute walk. Um, and so we felt they would probably be the main users of the space. So mm-hmm. it made sense for us to tailor it to them. Mm-hmm. And in uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the student uh, participation, we we're kind of in, uh, kind of going in that direction. But given the fact that Farrington is close by, can you kind of give us a sense as the maybe the percentage of or maybe the, 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 the demographic or what the spread of student participation is. Is it, is it largely from Farrington or is it, you know, have uh, pr- private schools, public schools from other areas? Right. So one of the things we do love about the co-working space idea is that it's open to all students. So whether they're public or private. So um, we do have Farrington students, but we also have a lot of students coming from Moanalua, um, a few from Punahou. We recently got some Kaiser people on board. So really, we are continuing to expand and really don't just necessarily um, want to just focus on one school. Mm-hmm. And so the percentages, I don't know, Jess, if you wanted to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. I would say, um, surprisingly, Moanalua students really take advantage of the space. So they would take up maybe 50% of the attendees. Um, Farrington, I would say maybe 30%. Um, and the rest is maybe Punahou. Um, I saw some Roosevelt and McKinley students once. Mm-hmm. And We've had some Kamehameha students. Kamehameha Maui. Yeah. Uh, not Maui. Kamehameha <laughs> School. And, um, but Maui would be welcome. Yeah, yes. Maui would be welcome. <laughs> uh, Kamehameha School and Kaiser High School as the main attendees. What was it, what was it that um, drew any of these students from the respective schools? I mean, is there a, a teacher there or is there another student that's there? I mean, what is it that draws students from a particular school to the canvas? Um, well, initially for Farrington High School, at least, we went through their student government and through their student activity coordinator. So that's how we kind of um, you know, introduced the idea to their school. As for the other schools, a lot of it is just word of mouth or through social media. So um, 
we each would tell our friends and they would tell their friends and it would kind of spread from there. And I think another um, main thing is from our events. So we would we hosted this preview event called Nightlight um, that was at the time not at our space because we hadn't um, renovated it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was open to all high school students. And I think that was a really great way to introduce our idea before we actually opened our space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I definitely want to hear more about kind of the logistics of it, making business arrangements, creating it probably, it would imagine, some kind of entity for it to operate and be sustaining. So we'll get uh, to that very briefly after this short break. We'll continue our conversation with Isabel Wong and Jessica Kim from The Canvas. And, of course, we'd love to hear from you as well. And, of course, that number to call is 941 3689 from Oahu or from the neighbor islands, you can dial 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Come follow the band, wherever it's at. Popular songwriters grab on to whatever's out there. This is Michael Lasser. Join me for Fascinating Rhythm and an hour of March songs. Sunday at 4 p.m. Yes, I found to be. In that number, yes, when the saints crab, delicious with a little bit of lemon, not so tasty when there's toxic algae nearby, and that is bad news for out-of-work fishermen. Right now, they're out of work on unemployment. One of them's trying to make house payments, the other one's got kids he's trying to raise, and they're just all standing on the sideline now. I'm Kai Rizdal, Crustaceans and Unemployment, next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital, Infinity of Honolulu, and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Jessica Kim from Wanalua High School and Isabel Wong from Punahou about creating the canvas. And, of course, you can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. I'm curious about the um, the introduction for any new students that are perhaps coming in. I'm, you know, let's say I'm from Pearl City High School or something, or or maybe Iolani, <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm I show up one day at the canvas and I say, "Hey, I'm here. What do you do here? And what can I get involved in? What sort of projects are going on that bring students uh, into the fold?" Right. So when you come to the canvas, we're definitely very open. We have an adult on staff all the time, making sure that the uh, the students are supervised. And uh, it's a really simple registration. As soon as you walk in, we'll just make sure you, we have your contact information. Mm-hmm. And then uh, students can get involved first by coming to the space to do their work. I mean, definitely the space is open. There's uh, sofas, chairs, tables, um, long desks for group projects and things like that. So, so are we, they coming in to do homework? I mean, is that is that one perhaps objective? or? Yeah, one objective definitely is to do homework because we also have tutors on staff. Oh. Uh, if they have any questions, any help on their essays or uh, math problems, tutors are there to help them. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, one objective definitely is to help students with their homework. And uh, some other projects at the Canvas that students can't get, can't get involved with is uh, coding. So 
it's really exciting because we have a uh, star foundry coming to do workshops at the canvas so uh, we want to make sure that uh, we can target all interests of students so coding is one um, one avenue another avenue is actually uh, performances so we have student showcases um, also we have different workshops like college workshops, financial aid, scholarships, um, just any suggestion that students actually have, they can definitely introduce it to us and we can find a way to get people to come to the canvas to help them out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Isabel, of course, you're in the middle of your high school career and it's great that you have this fantastic facility at which you could come to expand your skills, network other students and do your own homework, of which I am sure there is a lot. But becoming part of the organization of the Canvas means that showing up at the Canvas isn't just to further your academic career, but to help and contribute toward an operation. So I'm wondering, how do you balance that, that you are, I think, an incoming junior, you said? Yes. So how are you a junior? I mean, I'm the parent of a junior becoming a senior, and she seems <laughs> exhausted just worrying about school. So now you have this other operation you're trying to do. How do you balance that? Um, well, it is a lot of work, I will admit. Um, but the great thing is because I believe so passionately in the canvas and what we're trying to get at, it really doesn't feel like work. Um, you know, everything you do, you realize is furthering this cause and trying to help you reach this vision you have in your mind. Um, and so it doesn't feel like homework is somehow, you know, some homework is sometimes thought of as really grueling and arduous. But the work at the canvas is really not like that. You know, we get to do fun stuff like this, you know, be on um, HPR and meet with other people, um, interact with other students. Um, and so it's really great because a lot of it is life skills as well. So not just desk work, um, but yeah, connecting with people. So do you uh, do you consider this? Well, you know how you, in Moana Loa, I think they have uh, they probably have a robotics team. They probably have a bunch of uh, science Olympiad or perhaps uh, some science fair activities. I mean, is this, is this sort of the extracurricular activity that you might be putting down on your college entry exam or college entry uh, form? <laughs> I, I definitely don't see it as that. This is honestly, for me, so much more work than I think any club I could join I uh -huh. would ever imagine. It's um, really something kind of more, I don't want to say a lifestyle, but you just become so involved in it. Um, you know, this past week, we had meetings every single day for like three hours um, with our uh, next year team. Um, so for me, it's really more than an extracurricular um, because extracurricular sometimes it's like, you know, you work on it some days and not other days, mm -hmm. but the canvas is really an ongoing, growing, dynamic organization. So this is, it's summertime for you, right? It's just summer break. I mean, what is your typical day like? I mean, how much, <laughs> how many hours are you spending <laughs> over at the canvas? Or is that like a clock in at eight o'clock and leave at four? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I'm in summer school right now. So I have that from uh, eight to 12 uh -huh. and then I go home and. Um, try to do some homework <laughs> and then usually we've been having a lot of meetings so I'll have an afternoon meeting maybe two or three hours um, go home finish the rest of my homework you know eat dinner and whatnot and then kind of work on some more of the canvas um, stuff so like sending out emails mm. we're uh, revving up for this big fundraiser we're going to be hosting so a lot of energy is being put into that oh, okay okay now, maybe you can tell us a little bit about, about that for sure but uh, you know so but you jessica are in a different place in your uh, high school career as in it's done you're <laughs> heading off to college we had tiffany chang she's also on her way to the next chapter for her but the canvas remains the canvas has the next generation coming in so what i want to know about is what is the canvas as an entity and how does it work when there's this transition to 
the new partners or the new collaborators that come and keep it going forward. I think you're probably of the first class mm-hmm. to come out of the canvas and and Isabel in the next class. But how did you foresee and how are you executing that uh, evolution over time? Right. So sustainability is always something that we need to focus on as an organization because definitely we want to see the canvas be there in 10 years, a lot more other canvases all over the place. So to address that, we actually have an adult. He's our mentor. His name is Bryce Yahada. Uh, and he's really young. He's in his 20s and he's been helping us from the very start uh, launch this program. So um, even though Tiffany and I are like the first graduating class, uh, we make sure that we have younger students like Isabel who will take on the reins right after we leave and make sure we have like a panel of students there to lead the canvas every single year. That's kind of our sustainability plan. It's um, mentoring the next generation of leaders of the canvas and Bryce is uh, there to make sure that that plan is sustainable by uh, being that one adult in charge. Uh, And in terms of... uh, mentoring students like Isabel it's making sure that our vision doesn't get diluted every single year Mm -hmm. Uh, the vision has to remain pure to enact a culture change in the high school community and even though Tiffany and I will be going off to college we will definitely keep in touch with uh, the student leadership team every single week Um, and we also are in the process of setting up like an alumni network for every uh, graduating senior who was a part of the canvas Mm -hmm. to make sure that we always have that connection that we always have that tie Mm -hmm. and in the I think the, what the canvas set, it, set itself up as a uh, what a five hundred one c three kind of a nonprofit uh, organization. Yes. So then there, I guess Bryce is part of that entity and is sort of the adult responsible for making sure that that moves along in a financially sustainable. Files the moment. proper paper. Yes. Yeah. Right. He's the <laughs> one signing <laughs> the papers. Accountant. That's yeah. the accountant <laughs> that you probably met, right? Yeah. <laughs> So he's uh, Bryce is the one signing the papers, and he when he explains his position, that's really what he says. But uh, we're all minors, and that's why we we definitely need him. But mm-hmm. uh, he's also there to mentor students um, to make sure he's not uh, taking charge of the canvas. Actually, he's mm-hmm. the one behind the scenes. He's making he's more sure of a facilitator. The, the facilitator. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to make sure that we're going on the right path, that we're financially secure, mm-hmm. um, that if we're not, that the students can come up with a way to uh, make sure that the canvas is sustainable in the future. Well, that's actually a fair uh, thing to, to, to ask about. I mean, uh, it's good that it's a 501c3 and that it, of course, has a mission that is worthy of support, um, but it, there is rent, there is electricity, there is uh, some supplies that Fisher, Fisher Hawaii Fisher, cannot right. give for free. <laughs> Definitely. So when you talk about sustainability, the, the certainly the, the administration I can see, and you have a, a, a person in that role, but what is the financial backing and how does that proceed over time? Are you chasing grants year to year? Are you charging for memberships or premium access to facilities? How does that work? Right. So first of all, the canvas is free to all high school students. So there is no charge on behalf of high school students. Um, But uh, at first, we definitely relied on grants and we do so every single year. Uh, Our grants mainly came from the Learning Coalition, Public Schools of Hawaii Foundation, Alexander and Baldwin. um, And we uh, we would visit these funders every single summer uh, to make sure that we can apply for the grants every year and show that we had a measure of success every single year. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really important in terms of funding. Um, 
And on top of grants, we have fundraiser events, one that we're planning, and we'll talk about it shortly. And uh, we're also trying to figure out ways to generate internal revenue at the Canvas. So renting out, renting out the space to other organizations, um, being like, a, since we're only open from four to nine, figuring out a way to rent out the space in the morning for possibly freelancers, architects, people who actually need an office space. Mm-hmm. Now, you said measures of success. What were what were some of those measures of success that you wanted to make sure that you document and show uh, progress? Right. The most, I guess the difficult part of measuring success at the Canvas is that um, our goal is to improve students' emotional intelligence and soft skills, and that's not necessarily something that we can quantify. Mm-hmm. So uh, one event that we host every semester I would say is called Manifest and it's a student showcase Uh, we would interview students before and after the event to see how uh, performing in front of an audience was uh, something that was able to boost their confidence um, and to document that through video so I mean that was one way we measured things like uh, soft skills emotional intelligence confidence Um, But another measure is student attendance. Definitely, we want to make sure that our numbers are growing and expanding to students um, just outside of the the students in our social circles. Mm -hmm. Um, And another measure I would say is uh, basically seeing how uh, what our reach and impact is. So communicating to teachers. uh, One thing that we're really establishing this year is to communicate effectively with teachers and seeing through their own experiences in the classroom, how students are improving because of their experiences at the Canvas. Now, I I love that there is this attention to the legacy and the ongoing mission and that it's sustained and not diluted, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but Isabel, you know, you are the coming up class. Uh, the seniors are, are leaving the campus and you can rule the roost <laughs> while you're always going to be... Uh, uh, continuing the great work laid out before you. And I think that, uh, th- that that's, that's important. I, I am curious. We've talked about some of the programs, the, the event manifest, for example, fundraising events and things. Uh, I want to ask you, pretend that, you know, that the seniors are not even within earshot. <laughs> what are some of the things, drawing perhaps from your own passions, that you would like to kind of introduce perhaps someday at the Canvas Right. Um, Well, what's actually great is we recently just held a retreat for the upcoming year. And one of the activities we did was, you know, list out your goals for yourself, the team and the canvas. Um, And so one of my personal goals was to be able to host um, a workshop or an event every single week. So we've found that um, these events have been really popular and, um, you know, really draw a lot of students and are able to um, connect them. So what I want to see... is it doesn't have to be something big, you know, like Manifest um, was this kind of production with a lot of student performers. It can just be something um, like a discussion or um, just, you know, learning about one topic that students are interested, a book club, whatever students really want. Um, just having something every week so students can feel engaged and feel like they're learning something new. Mm-hmm. Would it be a violin workshop <laughs> or maybe a social media disaster preparedness oh yeah workshop. i'd be more than happy to come in and <laughs> teach that class right right yeah anything um we're really open to suggestions from students um that's one of the things we focus on is bringing um what students want so if um if a violin workshop is what they want we will <laughs> definitely you know find a way to bring that to the canvas no you know um jessica's made it uh, um, clear that for high school students it's free to attend or to uh, participate in the canvas uh, so that made me lead, uh, kind of led me to think that maybe if once you're not a high school student, that maybe there might be some 
fee to be involved? Is that is that the thinking of of, of where this might? So Isabel, you're gonna you're gonna block right. Her right. At so the when door. when Jessica <laughs> comes back from college, right, she's gonna come in and oh, great to see you, but. There's a charge, <laughs> admission charge. No, no, no. Um, we just say that because we market ourselves to high school students. Um, we haven't exactly been um, reaching out as much to college students um, or beyond, um, which is why we just like to emphasize and work on the high school student community because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it started with high schoolers and that was, um, you know, the group we were in, the people we knew, and so we just wanted to focus on that. Well, I think that's a great idea because, you know, the obviously high school students are very local. I mean, you know, you college, you might find people from all over the place. So it, 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 if you can prove it out from a local student standpoint, then I think it has a real uh, uh, opportunity for success if you can prove it out for local, local now, students. Another thing you mentioned, Jessica, though, is that you saw perhaps being Canvas centers in more than one place, mm-hmm. certainly across mm-hmm. Oahu and on other, other islands. What groundwork uh, is there? Is there a template that you're starting to build out? For example, if friends in Hilo say, hey, we should do a canvas here. I mean, what does that plan look like to growing or expanding the idea? Right. So um, when I first envisioned the canvas being everywhere, I uh, created this analogy in my head. I thought if you could create a hand uh, like a handbook mm-hmm. for the canvas it's everything is in that handbook uh, directions and instructions on how to build a canvas uh it could be something that could pop up potentially anywhere and uh really right now actually during the summer we're creating that framework uh creating this handbook i would say uh to build the canvas and it's not something that could is only in one location it's not something that is only effective in kalihi it's something that Every area across Oahu, across Hawaii, uh, would p- students would really benefit from. So let's first say uh, someone in Hilo wants to create the canvas. They could uh, definitely refer to the way we structured um, the canvas in Kalihi, kind of replicate certain things like workshops, creating a dynamic co-working space, inviting students from um, all high schools all over the island. Uh, it's something that is definitely very effective and very possible. You know, in the last couple of minutes, we definitely want to have you share with us what your uh, f- fundraiser plan is. I mean, this sounds like it's something that's uh, been, I guess, worked on quite a bit, and it's a major undertaking that's uh, coming up real quickly. Uh, Isabel, what's, uh, what's this fundraiser? So it's called Flare, um, and it's going to be on August 6th from 5 to 9 mm-hmm. p.m., um, held at the uh, Net Shed for Kupu, and so... What we are kind of getting at is it's going to be this concert. So we're going to have local performers um, from all these different bands as well as soloists because we've teamed up with Streetlight Cadence. Um, They've been helping us a lot with finding these bands. Um, And then we'll also have food vendors, so food trucks, food tents, um, a silent auction. So there will be, you know, student artwork there. just any type of items. We're actually currently looking for donations for that. Um, that's one of the things we've really been working on. Um, and so, like I said, we'll also have student booths. So we've, um, you know, heard from a lot of students who have their own um, kind of small businesses and are looking for venues to, um, you know, make themselves no- make themselves known and sell their items. So we'll also be showcasing them oh, as that well. Sounds right. So um, if somebody wanted to, for example, check out the canvas as a high school student, replicate the canvas at their own in their own communities, or s- support this fundraiser. Uh, where can they go to find more information? So we have our website, um, www.thecanvashigh.org. Um, so we have you know all 
our information there, pictures about our space and whatnot. Um, and so we are actually going to push out our event, so really make it publicly known um, this Friday. And we are planning on going flyer posting everywhere. Um, so that's one of the methods, and also just checking out our website um, for discounted tickets there. Sounds good. Well, Jessica Kim and Isabel Wong are the two co- one of the or two of the four or so co-founders <laughs> of the Canvas, and of course, it's a new co-working space uh, for students in Kalihi. We want to thank you both for joining us. Thank Thanks you so much, <laughs> and thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll hear about the launch of Sting No More, a way to bring relief from jellyfish and ant stings born out of research at the University of Hawaii. And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And I'm at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kostovich. And we leave you with a song pick of uh, the week, which I heard on Apple Music. Here's a band called Stromi and a song called Papaote. See you next week on another edition of Bike Marks Cafe. You I never know. All signs floating through my head. Say stop, stop. No, you'll never go. So you should have told me that you never stay. Instead of slow pan and fade away. Now my brain's being damaged and the pain can be managed. And I never know what made you this way. So. Ute, papa, ute. Ute, papa, ute. Ute, papa, ute.